How do you respond to people when they don't accept you? You know, when people reject you or don't like you or in some form or fashion. I'm sure that's happened to just about everybody here at some point in their lives. You know, when I thought of this, my mind went to three examples. Uh, the first one is in grade school. You're out on the playground and you, you go up to some kids and say, you want to play with them? And they say, we don't want you to play with us. Or when you muster up the courage to tell that guy or girl that you like them and they say, I don't like you. Or maybe you find out that your friend had a party and you were the only one not invited. I'm sure there are plenty of other examples that we can think of of times that we were not accepted in some way or another. So how do you respond? Well, if you're anything like me, when you're not accepted, when you're rejected, that probably doesn't feel good, right? It makes you kind of sad. Being rejected simply doesn't feel good. But chances are you don't actually do anything about it, right? You're not going to confront or talk to those people about it. But let's switch it up. Let's say it happens to someone you love dearly, a child, a best friend, or a spouse. How do you respond then? If your child is the one on the playground who is rejected and, won't let, and the kids won't let them play with him, won't let him or her play with them, how do you respond then? Your blood might start to boil a little bit out of anger for your child being hurt. You might even think about going and talking to those kids or to the parents of those kids. Or your best friend is the one who is rejected by the person they'd li they like. You probably get a bit protective. You know, maybe uh, turn the other way when you walk next, uh, past that person next time too. Or your, your spouse finds out that they were the only one not invited to a party. You might consider sending a strongly worded Facebook message to the person who had the party, telling them they were wrong. With these and with all other examples, when we're rejected, it's one thing. But don't think about hurting or rejecting someone I love. When someone we love is hurt or rejected, we, we tend to want to defend them. You know, we want to make things better natural. But what about when God is the one, we, the one who's rejected? It's a little different because we don't have the same physical relationship that we have with our other friends and family who we can physically see, touch, and talk to. But God is someone that we love dearly, so what happens when he's the one rejected? In our text from Luke 9, this scenario plays out Jesus is rejected. There's a particular Samaritan village who didn't accept him. And his disciples, James and John, a.k.a. the sons of thunder, which is very fitting for what they wanted to do, they wanted to defend Jesus. They loved Jesus, and they wanted to do something when these people rejected him. And so they say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Time out. That escalated way too quickly. I hope we can all agree that that is an overreaction. Aside from just wanting to come to the defense of someone that they love, I think you could say it showed a bit more about the hearts uh, of James and John as well. 
You know, obviously they were upset that these people didn't accept Jesus, uh, but I think uh, they, but I don't think they came up with this idea on their own, right? This idea of calling down fire from heaven. Does can you think of any other time in the Bible where this may have happened? Well, in our Old Testament reading today, in fact, it actually happened twice with Elijah, once in First Kings and once in Second Kings. The first time, which was our reading for today, this was like this contest between the true God and the false god Baal. And these, there were false prophets, and they were doing all kinds of things. They were cutting themselves, and they were crying out to God, their God saying, send down fire. There were over 400 prophets that were doing that. Then Elijah steps up to the plate, and he, uh, he has them douse the altar with water three times, just so there was no doubt. And he prays to God, and he calls down fire from heaven, and he consumes the altar. It was basically a contest to show whose God is real. Whose God has the power. And Elijah showed no doubt that his God was the real God. And then in 2 Kings, we see a similar situation, but this time Elijah calls down fire upon his enemies to consume them. So back to James and John, they're probably thinking, you know, this guy Elijah is awesome. He defended God against people who didn't believe in him. He defended God, and we need to do the same here. And this is the first slide, or the first uh, blanks for the sermon notes. But the problem is, what Elijah did was descriptive, not prescriptive. Here's what I mean by that. Those stories of Elijah describe events that happened. Yes, those situations happened, but it doesn't mean, well, if I'm ever in a situation where somebody doesn't believe God, uh, I should call down fire too. It happened with Elijah, but that doesn't mean every time someone doesn't believe in Jesus, we should call down fire. Their zeal for God was, was good, but as we'll address later, their intentions were not in the right place. I think we get a, a glimpse of our own hearts in the disciples' response too, though. Now, we're not always this way, but at times we feel like we need to defend God. You know, we have all come across people in our lives who don't believe in Jesus, and I think that that feeling of, like, we need to stick up for him, it, it kicks in. One of the best examples I can think of is being a, a keyboard warrior for Jesus. What I mean by that, uh, next slide, what I mean by that is getting into online debates, often heated debates with people who don't believe the same ways we do or don't believe in Jesus at all. I mean, if you're on social media at all, uh, you probably understand this. You see someone that you're friends with or you follow that posts something that is like, completely absurd and tries to like discredit or disprove Jesus or the Bible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody have this experience? In high school and college, I used to be such a keyboard warrior for Jesus. I, I would comment on posts left, right, and center. I would disprove people and I would show them that Jesus is 
who he says he is, and they would send me beautiful messages just thanking me for showing them the truth about who Jesus is. <laughs> if only. Not one of the conversations I ever had went like that. In fact, I know several times that I went too far because I felt like I needed to defend Jesus. You know, I, I sought to defend Jesus so much that it came at the expense of showing the love of Jesus in my interactions. You know, I could be saying factually, biblically correct things, but if it was done in a, in a disrespectful or an offensive manner, well, it didn't matter. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, a, a text that I referenced a few weeks ago in my sermon, you know, he lists all these wonderful things, and he says, you can do these, but if you don't love, you have nothing. Whether it's defending Jesus online or in person, it's all the same thing. We miss the mark when we feel like we need to defend Jesus, that it is up to us to make sure that people know he is who he says he is. Get their facts right about Jesus. That can be hard, right? Because similar to, uh, it can be hard when people don't. Because similar to when uh, we have somebody that we love that is rejected or hurt, when someone is offensive or uh, insults or rejects Jesus, you know, we get upset too. And it's okay to be bothered by that kind of thing. Like, we, we shouldn't be happy when people say that God isn't real or that God doesn't care or that God doesn't love. But here's the difference between our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. Jesus hasn't asked us, nor does he need us to defend him. Let me say that again. Jesus, the one who allowed men to torture him, the one who gave up his life, the one who went down to hell to tell the devil that he had lost, the one who took up his life, the one who went back into heaven, and the one who is going to come back to judge every person who has ever lived. That Jesus doesn't need little old you or me to defend him. There is nothing weak about Jesus. Don't mistake his kindness for weakness. The power of death couldn't stop Jesus. He's perfectly capable of taking care of everything he needs taken care of. And not only that, but he is the one who defends us. He defends us from the attacks that the devil lays upon us. When the devil brings up our past sin, we look at our baptism. We are reminded in our baptism we are united with Christ in his death. He has paid for and removed our sins from us, and they have no power over us. When the devil tempts us to sin, Jesus' Spirit defends us and helps us to resist. When death itself assails us and takes our life, Jesus defends us with the promise that no matter what happens in this life, our eternal life, is secure in him. Jesus does not need us to defend him. He doesn't need us to stand up for him. In fact, he, he doesn't need anything from us. 
yet, by his pure grace, he loves us. And he wants us to be with him. And, and he actually invites us to work alongside him in his kingdom. You might be there, sitting there thinking, well, so are we just not supposed to talk about Jesus then? And the answer is, well, yes, we should. But, but there's a huge difference in how we think about it. Because if we think that we need to defend Jesus, well, then what happens when someone doesn't stop saying wrong things about him? Well, then it's up to us to defend him until they stop. But if we realize that Jesus doesn't need us to defend him, well, then the pressure is off of us. In fact, there's not any pressure on us to make people believe in him either. When we realize that, when we have a posture of humility and love, rather than aggression and a feeling of responsibility to defend Jesus, then we can have real conversation with people. And we might even be able to, to share why it is that we believe in Jesus. Because when God uses us, when he uses our testimony to work in someone's heart, it typically doesn't start when we have a posture of aggression. You know, when, when someone, or when we're defensive, when we feel like we need to defend Jesus and, you know, prove that he is the Son of God and prove that the Bible is 100% reliable and prove that we are sinners and so on and so forth, we miss the mark. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We give a, re we get a defense for the reason, for the hope that we have. We don't defend Jesus. We, defend, we give a defense of why we believe in Jesus. We share the hope we have in Jesus. How are we supposed to do it? With, with aggression and, you know, just wanting to prove someone wrong? No, with, with gentleness and respect. Which, if you think about it, gentleness was the way that Jesus worked too. He didn't try to disprove or overpower his opponents. Jesus responded to those who rejected him with a posture of humility and gentleness, not, not aggression, even to the point of dying for his enemies. We really ought to love and treat others the way that Jesus loved and treated others. We're humbled when we remember Jesus doesn't need us to defend him. He can bring the dead back to life. He can forgive sins. I think he can handle everything else he needs to handle. His love defends you. May that reminder go with you every day. His love defends you. Find security in his love. And may his love be what drives your interactions with others. Amen. Lord God, we thank you that your love defends us. We thank you that you have done everything that we needed to but couldn't before, before God. God, help us to remember that it's not our job to, to show people that you are who you say you are, but you do that. Help us 
to love one another and help us to, to give a good witness of who you are by how we live and by how we love. God, we fail though, and so we thank you for your forgiveness for that. We ask your strength to help us do this more and more every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to stand as we continue with our